new Alec Baldwin excuse for fatal misdirection. I'm an all over the place Jew since I quit self-medicating by getting loaded. Can I get a holla for Rebel without a pause for going for the kill shot long time all the time. Holla! Thank you very much. Is that joke too soon? Sure. But my family will go broke keeping the house warm this winter after we run out of 10-year-old furniture to burn since the day democracy died. So at this point, what difference does it make? Hillary, hammer time, cankles, strikes again, rebel, without a pause, the innocuous insurrectionist. Ha! Thank you very much. <laughs> Colin Kaepernick sports a fake news fro. America, have you ever seen a biracial afro that large before? Slash from Guns N' Roses tried to grow it out, but it was a total flop. Lenny Kravitz, another biracial Hebrew, never made it bounce that way either. Rebel without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much. I just read about an all-Muslim girl prom in Detroit on Al Jazeera Google to prove that um, an inclusive search engine explorer. <laughs> and I thought to myself, an all-Muslim girl prom in Detroit. So the promise like mine then pork free holla rebel without a pause thank you very much english blokes shitting their knickers bloke at the pub says the turkish president threatened to send 3.6 million refugees to europe if the EU doesn't provide aid to Turkey. Mate at the pub says, Now that's using leverage. I guess the Turkish president read the art of the deal in Farsi after all. Rebel without a pause. Holla. Thank you very much. Courtney Love called Linda Sarsour, a fake feminist who had no business promoting feminism at the Women's March on Washington because of her past proclaimed support of Sharia law, specifically clitoral mutilation. So, if siding with rock badass Courtney Love over Linda Sarsour makes me alt-right, then I'm alright with it. Rebel without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much. I don't know about you, America, but when I caught a screenshot of the Women's March on Washington on the Gateway Pundit, dun-dun-dun, all I saw was a whole lot of rosies sporting a whole lot of chins. Bond Scott, ACDC, forevermore, rebel without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much! <laughs> but just to reminisce a little, I'll never forget my mother asking me if her granddaughter, my firstborn, Matilda Singing Rose Shoshana Kornbluth, I'll never forget Mimi asking me if I had my daughter watch the first woman's march on Washington. 
And I said to Mimi, Sure, Mom. I had my daughter watch The Woman's March on Washington, but only in a full-length burqa from head to toe, so she could see that she's got nothing to bitch about in comparison to you-know-who. Holla! Rebel without a pause. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then I tell my mother, no, Mom, I didn't have my daughter watch The Woman's March on Washington. She's finally learning how to read. So the last thing I need in my life is my daughter trying to make up one of those protest signs at The Woman's March on Washington and say, Daddy, what's Pussy Power? Is that a new show on Amazon Prime? Rabble without a pause or filter. Holla! Thank you very much. <laughs> Michelle Obama says it's racist to flee from the south side of Chicago. <laughs> the most violent part <laughs> by far. Where they have like blood draining kits. <laughs> Michelle Obama acts like the south side of Chicago is only one crap truck away from gentrification. Gentrification. You know, liberal talk for less black people. <laughs> the other day, I point to the new Yankee Stadium as we drive past it on the Deegan and say to my daughter, Look, Matilda. The new Yankee Stadium, the house that gentrification built, rebel, without a cause, not me, James Dean, didn't mean to, to jack the title, your star making performance, rebel, without a pause, or filter, or short term memory that's intact anymore, ha, thank you very much, <laughs> Biden. Mr. Groper, got the most votes in presidential race history? Sure. That's like saying Louis CK will never wait to do a set at the cellar, even if he appeared on stage with sunglasses on, a trench coat, and Sarah Silverman's hoodie to wipe up with. Rebel without a pause. Ha! Thank you very much. This is Oprah Winfrey begging Disney CEO Bob Iger to run for president against DeSantis in 2024. Florida, gotta love it. In DeSantis, we trust. Holla! Rebel without a pause. Thank you very much. This is Oprah talking to Disney CEO Bob Iger. Doing her best to convince him to run for president against DeSantis in 2024. Oprah says, Nobody needs to know you went to Ithaca College, otherwise known as Cornell's retarded next-door neighbor. You'll deny Valerie Jarrett had any role in drafting the timeout nuke-building deal with Iran as Obama's permanent live-in Arabian horse whisperer. Dan Libertard can ask you debate questions. Written by Jamela Hill in advance on why you think Jay-Z cares more about black people than Kanye West, despite his crack-selling days resulting in sending more babies into premature hell than Biggie could defeat his daughter. White truffle shaved risotto since Puffy got him hooked on the stuff eight days a week. Rabble! Without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much! Titty shaming, mama again. My seven-year-old son, number one Capricorn, born on New Year's Day, says, Daddy, I like vaginas with no hair. I've seen mama's hairy vagina before. I say, big boobs, compliment it better. Rebel, without a pause, do it all dad. Does Radio City at the Kosher Butcher, a Karen 
Schwartz <laughs> gets up in my face, sporting a Biden Harris mask, and screams in my direction, Wear the damn mask. I say, Not until you suck all the hate speech and white privilege out of my chosen schlong first, babe. But I'll make it easy for you, Karen. Schwarzenstein, <laughs> because I'm a giver and not another greedy heeb like Bernie Sanders. Just pretend Obama ordered you to leak it. Rebel without a pause. Holla! The best is yet to come. Sinatra lives. Thank you very much. Vermont should change their state motto already from the green state to CBD Oil only. Bernie Sanders couldn't even make Vermont great for potheads on vacation. Cuomo, the Italian reptilian inside. The thug in Armani Exchange who looks like Mama Fratelli from the Goonies and the thing had a baby. That Cuomo getting paid to write a book about leadership is like Woody Allen. Getting a book advance to write a book about hands-off parenting. Or Cuomo getting paid to write a book about leadership is like Hitler getting paid to write a book about anger management. Cuomo getting paid to write a book about leadership is also the equivalent of Kevin Durant, voice of the Millennial Mouseketeer Generation getting picked to do a TED Talk on how to block out the sound of cyberbullying. Rebel without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much. If Google doesn't manipulate search results, then why is it harder to find positive mentions of hydrochloroxine or the very successful horse dewormer, and I'm only saying horse dewormer because I can't enunciate the exact name of it. <laughs> Again, if Google doesn't manipulate search results, then why is it harder to find positive mentions of alternative, safe, effective treatments for early stages of COVID, such as hydrochloroxine and the horse dewormer? If Google doesn't manipulate those search results, then why is it harder to find positive mentions of any alternative form of treatment? For COVID, that doesn't include the freaking death jab. Then why is it harder? If Google doesn't manipulate search results, then why is it harder to find positive mentions of hydrochloroxine for starters on Google than it is to find a film blogger on Rotten Tomatoes who called the Irishman underrated. Rebel without a pause. Also, is it me or does Robert De Niro on The View these days look like Betsy Ross? Falling apart at the seams. Rebel without a pause. Mass prevent you from getting COVID? Yeah. Enjoy Behar. Boogerface Incarnate is the new chief happiness officer for Breitbart. If Obama's such a baller, Dave Chappelle, then why did Obama ride the bench at an all-Asian private school in Hawaii? Rebel. Without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much. What's truly hilarious, Dave Chappelle, is how your boy, LeBron, America's most haunted, Ice Cube lives, a.k.a. king of the persecution complex. What's truly hilarious it's how that LeBron got the idea of wearing a fake news cast during the NBA Finals after Michelle Obama gave him the idea to do it. After she threatened to break her arm in Obama's ass if he ever dared to offer Beyonce Paul Newman's lemonade in the White House over her homemade kombucha. Rabble without... A pause. Holla! Thank you very much! And stop 
fronting Chappelle. We all know Obama, not Trump, is the one who really loves Hitler. Obama wishes he was that organized. Mass extermination of every hook nose, pushy, extra nosy journalist, blogger, or vlogger from Breitbart, dun, 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 who dared to criticize Obama's new gifting deal to Iran would be a gas. Obama, be good, only gave Iran $1.5 billion in the still of the night and unmarked bills to create overseas manufacturing jobs for Build-A-Bear to make the Iranian economy less reliant on the sale of chest hair removal cream for the Kardashians. Does Dave Chappelle do a bit in his new act titled The Closer, (laughs) which is Obama's uh, nickname for Michelle in some new documentary? He's doing for Netflix. That's a semi-parody of uh, the uh, Tina Turner biography film called What's Talent Got to Do With It? Rebel without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much! <laughs> Again, <laughs> does Dave Chappelle do a bit in his new act? <laughs> that being the closer to prove he isn't a black supremacists eight days a week by citing the type of tweet congressional rep babyface omar gonna work it out from minnesota which actually sent on the anniversary of amy winehouse's death this year to appease any non-self-hating jewish democratic reps left in congress who don't like israel being compared to hamas <laughs> for example would dave Chappelle ever cite this made-up tweet <laughs> coming from Babyface Omar. Gonna work it out to appease any of the non-self-hating Jewish Democrats reps left in Congress <laughs> who don't like Israel being compared to Hamas. <laughs> Would he ever <laughs> perform an A-plus gem like this and say, Babyface Omar would tweet in honor of Amy Winehouse's death on our anniversary and say something happens to a beehive sporting devil horn concealing parasitical Jew bitch who exploited the great Palestinian songbook for all it was worth Gershwin brothers live George and Ira forevermore holla Rabble without a pause. Thank you very much. If Dave Chappelle had the balls to say to his fellow brothers in the struggle to stop resisting arrest, then all lives matter wouldn't be the new N-word. Can I get a holla for some holla for some pointed Truth bomb laden holla rebel without a pause. It's not my fault I'm a funnier black Carlin. Nor is it my fault that I was blessed with the supreme powered funnier Jew bone for a reason. Offended yet? Then go woke yourself! Holla! Rebel without a pause! Thank you! Very much. Last memo to the New York Times. If you fire 5,000 rockets into Israel's backyard, don't expect an edible arrangement gift basket in return with the thank you note written in Farsi. I can't work at the sunset. Old Testament, God rules. But I'll leave you with one final nugget of comedy gold for the road to prove that Vince Vaughn isn't the only fast-talking, big-headed, asshole who's louder than Buster Rhymes at a midnight showing of higher learning. If Joe Biden, a.k.a. Mr. Groper, got the most votes out of any presidential candidate in U.S. history, 
Then, Michelle Obama regretted pissing on the ceiling fan in the Lincoln bedroom seconds before Trump's inauguration. <laughs> Later that night, the Donald comments to Melania, Is this what she Hulk meant when she, he said, when they go low, we aim high. Joan lives. Rabble without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much. Kosha, Klaus, Sushi, Rabble without a pause. Rolls on. Holla! Thank you very much. Once upon a time, there was a kosher sushi chef prodigy, Archo USA, who opened Kosher Klaus Sushi on Christmas Eve in 1994, before the internet became mainstream. It was also before Asian. Elite Yelpers went hog wild with it. <laughs> Kosher Klaus Sushi was located in the heart of Scarsdale Village. Eston Scarsdale's none of your business. Bugsy lives. Holla! Thank you very much. Kosher Klaus Sushi was located in the heart of Scarsdale Village, which earned immediate rave reviews in the Scarsdale Enquirer from local food critic. Debbie Boogerface Wasserman, who described art shows mind-blowing specialty role creations as orgasmic before they reach the back of your throat. Good. What made art show unique outside of his unmatched imaginative heft and juggling sushi knife work at the bar were his God-given star power looks, which commanded legions of groupie Yentas to schlep from the far reaches of Yenta Breath, Long Island to wait in line in the dead of winter to just catch a glance of the new age pretty boy, badass, soy boy, sushi chef through the window, cranking out one swoon-worthy inhalatory sushi specialty roll after the next. Like his signature one, living on the Edge Mont Edge. 90s Aerosmith lives. Holla! Jokes that Gen X dads understand. Rebel without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much! Living on the Edge Mont Edge, which had smoked salmon, cream cheese, capers, and caramelized shallots throughout to inject an extra. Special loaded lift. Nora Ephron, I fucked her. Oh, I can't take no more. 90s dice lives. Holla, rubble without a pause. Thank you very much. Every day, Art Show USA would sharpen his sushi knives together, made from Israeli steel, used in bulletproof vests, made for their special forces unit. Masad, which would woo with sparkly, dazzling delight as patrons at the Kosha Klaus Sushi Bar gave impromptu standing ovations throughout. Archo USA was a six foot four, spiky, blonde haired, blue eyed, lean, mean sushi slicing machine who made Tom Cruise from the movie Cocktail look like a stumpy, homely, Hobbit, Ukrainian, hipster hack in comparison. Holla! Rebel without a pause. Regardless if Tom kept his rolled up sleep button shirt tucked in or not. Holla! Rebel without a pause. But one day, a bunch of rowdy Irish wiggers, like House of Pain was going to do anything? 90s, Vince Vaughn lives. Holla! Rebel without a pause. Thank you very much. But one day, a bunch of rowdy Irish wiggers entered Kosha Klaus Sushi to track down a hot Yenta breath from Syosset, Long Island, Rachel Weinstein, who rocked swinging, booby-licious 
Beauties, 36 Ds to be exact, who is a solid 5'9", making her ultra-mountable from behind, standing up, assuming you weren't a stumpy Irishman unlucky in the height department. Rachel was a full-lift, Sephardic, Persian tan, busty beauty. Even Roger Waters from Pink Floyd will pulverize her fetching. Snatch until he was comfortably numb. Rebel without a pause. Resist this, Waters. Ha! Thank you very much. The leader of the Wigger Irish pack was Liam O'Reilly. Oz lives, who sported a Newport cigarette tattoo on his esophagus, which scared off most, but not Archo USA. Archo USA was a black belt in judo by the time he was 13 for his bar mitzvah through Zoom. For Archo's bar mitzvah party, he played Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins on the guitar with his feet and teeth. So Archo USA was never sweating the prospect of losing a fight or a girl to an Irish wigger moron from Long Island who thought stamping a permanent Newport cigarette tattoo on his esophagus was a bright idea, regardless if it ensured him a truck driver job for Killian's Red or not. Rebel, without a pause, dumping on Long Island hacks. Ha! Thank you very much! Liam and his crew of Irish wiggers came down from Long Island to start a fight with Archo USA because they attended the same high schools, Rachel Weinstein, and only had eyes for inhaling her whole Plus, they weren't enthralled with Rachel wearing an underground circulated hoodie with a picture of Archo USA on it, sporting an American flag bandana and a Star of David gold necklace around his neck, showcasing well-earned, non-banking job-related bling. Regardless if all the Jews were in charge of the Federal Reserve and all the banks in the North Hole two, rebel without a pause. Ha! Thank you very much. Liam cuts the line with his Irish wigger posse and bursts into kosher Klaus sushi like Mark Wahlberg on the set of SNL after Andy Samberg did a sketch about Marky Mark talking to farm animals. Liam bum rushes the sushi bar and says, "Hey, faggot." I'll kick your ass right now to show all your groupies what a pretty boy faggot, gay pussy bitch, soy boy you are in real life. Archo ignores Liam's alpha dog attack. Liam jumps over the sushi bar to strike. Archo does a look away kick to the middle of his forehead, which sends the Long Island hack Liam flying into the ceiling fan, which knocks him out senseless. Archo USA says, Alexa, play Jump Around by House of Pain. Kosher Klaus, Sushi, erupts into instantaneous jubilee. Jewish pride pounces the air, inspiring Rachel Weinstein to flash her succulent 36D tits at Archo USA as the entire restaurant throws their gold necklaces with stars of David on it in her general direction. In honor of all those sweet, harmless Jewish boys who were never taught to defend themselves. Unlike Jewish folk heroes of yesteryear, such as the Hebrew Hammer, Bugsy Siegel, and Archo USA, Rebel Without a Pause, Holla! Thank you very much! The talky mozzarella man. Rebel without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much. Pizza isn't everybody's favorite food because the universe loves melted Gouda. Nobody today is waiting online to inhale entire pizza pies drenched in smoked cheeses like Gouda. Unless you're a hardcore Dutch dude from Amsterdam in lower Manhattan on holiday because working Europeans get five weeks of paid vacation and have nothing better to do than to try the new gastro pub in town, Crackers and Brews, which offers 
state-of-the-art mini pizzas on in-house made artisanal crackers <laughs> to leave more room inside for perpetual IPA poundage soon after, assuming those IPAs were hydrating enough. Then again, if you're a major lush like Michael Kornbluth, if the beer is cold enough, he considers a dogfish 90-minute IPA ultra poundable and hydrating too. And if it's cold enough, it doesn't take him 90 minutes to finish his second either. Holla! Thank you very much! <laughs> Mozzarella will always be the most popular cheese in New York because you're not melting sharp Vermont cheddar cheese on a veal parm hero in NoHo ever. <laughs> Mozzarella is the king of New York cool dominance like Lawrence Fishburne and Wesley Snipes in New Jack City all wrapped up into one. Am I being too talky again, boss? <laughs> boss says, there's no practicing shtick in the dressed up mozzarella stick hawking game of St. Mark's Place, especially knowing you could practice your amorphous routine at a plethora of open mics throughout the East Village in Brooklyn that Antifa hasn't planned to take over yet in your own spare, non-billable time, where you could continue to make jack shit, spewing semi-coherent streams of thought that never amount to as many hilarity mountaintops as you think. Talking. Mozzarella stick says, All right, boss, I'll stick to the script and only ask girls who pass me by. Have you ever been sticked by Big Buster before? Because you know, I have. But his name was Dave from Long Island, not Big Buster, which reminds me of a fat white rapper who had no role models to emulate, really. Beastie Boys always rock skinny jeans that dried off their ankles and shit. Vanilla Ice always opted for the flaptastic fly guy, silky sweats, anthrax, the backup thrash metal band for Public Enemy on Bring the Noise, and their scrappy skinny yet muscular metal white boys from Queens, the former breeding ground for Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister, Nasty Nas, Black Sheep, Third Base. I know the list is the greatest hits. One that keeps you guessing who's even bigger on the list than the next one-hit wonder before them. <laughs> Art Garfunkel, the angelic-sounding Jew, and Paul Simon both hail from Queens, which stings the Republican Gentile who's consumed with jealousy in the face of such creatively hyper-successful Artistic Jews who didn't take the Bernie Madoff route. I totally get it. But to round out the list of all-time great artists from Queens, you also have to include the consistently funny and transcendent Cindy Lauper, while also giving a loving, gushing shout-out in honor of showrunner and comedic writer, ball-busting great Doug Allen from Entourage, who made the legendary show on HBO infinitely cooler than Mark Wahlberg's producer name credits, on it. Doug Allen is a funnier, cooler version of John Favreau. And so I started to produce, direct, and write every episode, it seems, for the first season of Mandalorian and beyond. Asshole! Look, I think John Favreau deserves a shot to reimagine Boba Fett's backstory for Disney just for teaming up with Vince Vaughn on Made Alone. Even more than Richard Linklater for making Daisy Confused, the pitch perfect film to come out my senior year in high school among my old school pinko breath and buds of old. But still, asshole, <laughs> if you're creatively competitive at all, knowing John Favreau directed Elf, all the Iron Mans, it wasn't too shabby, and Rudy or PCU either. The big boss in charge of founding and running Mozzarella Man says he was mouthy, unknown, unrepresented, all over the place, wannabe stand-up comedy star Michael Corbett. If you love John Favreau so much, then write your screenplay about being... Vince Vaughn's non-successful, surly, unfunny twin brother. <laughs> because you look like him in a pretty good living, insomniac fashion. And leave me out of it 
already. Rebel without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much. Fancy fingers. Once upon a time, there was a famous jazz pianist known as Junkie the Pianist who suffered from imposter syndrome. He played with all the biggies of his day in the 1950s and was on the cover of Time Magazine once. One less time more than Duke Ellington. Jazz critics sucked off his classical pianist training background. Yet Junkie the Pianist failed to feel good about his artistic heft after a depressingly dreary vision on extra-strength heroin one night, home alone, in his queen's apartment in Far Rock Away Beach. Rock, rock, rock away beach. Rebels without a pause. Ramones live. Holla! Thank you very much. Junkie, the pianist, failed to feel good about his artistic heft after a depressingly dreary vision on extra strength heroin one night home alone in his queen's apartment in far rock 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 away beach which would have forced miles davis to face the audience for a change and stare down the motherfucker who dared to throw his jazz record masterpiece kind of blue out of the window too <laughs> junkie the pianist hunches over a pile of his own brown tar puke, takes off his glasses and rubs his eyes again to make sure what horrific vision he saw on what was most likely pure, real-deal heroin was actually true. Yes, it was. And this vision on Mind Melding H, a so-called state-owned comedian podcast host in 2021, was filming a video on a strange mini-tablet device of his son tossing Junkie the Pianist's prized jazz album masterpiece, Heroin Hell, out the window into the frigid February snow with absolute relish glee to be finally rid of such a horrible trash forever. On the video, Junkie the Pianist recoils from repeat visions of the kid throwing out this horrible jazz record out the window, hoping it would break on a tree after the little one admitted to liking jazz prior, which made him more... Putrid sick in his stomach than ever before. Now, Junkie, the pianist, wallows in the lowest form of self-pity, looks up to his leaky, decrepit, light-flickering ceiling, and asks God in the most dejected, harrowing way, how can you like some jazz but not my jazz piano masterpiece? The Junkie pianist drones on, adding, who cares if I'm a white boy in glasses who looks like he should be a furniture salesman from Fort Lee, New Jersey. And how dare the so-called state comedian proclaim best 20 bucks I've ever spent after his carefree son flings my jazz masterpiece into the yard as if it was another frenetic Herbie Hancock handjob record knowing the jazz critic at the Village Voice called my jazz piano masterpiece heroin Hell, melancholy, magic, smashing pumpkins, rule, and they live on, rebel, without a pause, faltering a tad, holla, I'm blaming on my son, they just knocked on my door, will end up to my flow, thank you very much, junkie, the pianist, hears a loud thump on the door. Landlord screams, rent is due, junkie. How can you be on the cover of Time Magazine but not afford your rent in a rent-controlled apartment, motherfucker? I've seen those fancy cats you roll with like Miles Davis. Well, guess what? You're not Miles Davis. You're in no position to turn your back on me, motherfucker. Look, Frank Sinatra's doing okay, singing songs from the Great American Jazz Songbook. So instead of composing more piano jerk-off music for jazz 
critics who still live with their mother. Why don't you compose some fruitcake songs you can sell to Broadway like Cole Porter or those fancy schmancy Gershwin brothers for a change? At least they dress nice and look the part. You look like a junkie furniture salesman from Fort Lee, New Jersey. But hey, you wear glasses and played all the hip jazz joints downtown. So I'm positive you got some brain cells left to use more wisely. Touch of wise. Rebel without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much, Junkie. The pianist pukes out a lung this time. Landlord leans his ear closer to the door this time and bemoans. Fight or flight, Junkie. What will your destiny be? I get it. You're most likely a closeted homosexual. I've heard you cry yourself to sleep singing The Man I Love whenever Ella Fitzgerald is on the radio again. So you can't hold hands with your imaginary lover throughout McDougal Street just yet after a show at the Village Vanguard. whoop de freaking do I'm positive you can get plenty of privacy at the plaza with Cole Porter or get some sin on sin, hellhole, loving action behind any old dumpster, behind any old Broadway theater dressing room too. <laughs> Innovate or die. A broke, boring, fight adverse, junky, fancy fingers. I don't know why I waste my breath. Junkie, the pianist, musters the strength to crawl over to his piano with no other furniture around, collapses on the dusty hardwood floor and dies of a heart attack on the spot to avoid heroin hell one second longer. His landlord paid for his casket and the remainder of his funeral expenses. Months later, Miles Davis visits his gravesite in Rockaway, Queens, alone, and places a rock on his Jewish tombstone and says, Jazz rock is the new groove now, junkie. Sorry for turning my back on you. When that junk started to ruin your fancy fingers at an accelerated rate, where you couldn't tell if you were playing meditative jazz or elevator music on really slow acid, it takes forever to kick in. Regardless, your sound helped mold my best-selling masterpiece, Kinda Blue. Having Train on the record with me, in charge, with me in charge of the band leader, to rein in his self-indulgent stroke sessions, didn't hurt the overall marketability of the record to make it more palatable for uptight White boy, devil lawyers at Columbia Records to digest either. You played in a gorgeous, hair-tingly way on my birthday during a jam session on Milestones, which I'll never forget, Junkie. Sorry about cutting out your work on that track. I couldn't have a furniture salesman from Fort Lee, New Jersey, outshine me on my own shit, Junkie. Miles reaches into his camel skin coat pocket to grab Junkie's abnormally thick black glasses and places them on his tombstone and says, I got these from your, your landlord, Junkie, after I learned you passed. I can't believe I was listed as your, your only emergency contact when I was still on the junk too. Your landlord told me to innovate or die. Then I recorded sketches of Spain during my dry out period, representing my new lease on life, Junkie. And I'll always have your junky ass to thank. But boy, could you play. And I am fucking jazz. And Miles knows best. Even your homo ass. All the way down in how in hell can see that. Miles smiles. Rabble without a pause. Allah, thank you. Very much horrendous. Heidi, holla. Thank you very much. Matilda, 
singing Rose Cornblue, knew the birthday of her daddy, mommy, two younger brothers, best friend Shannon, and of course, dear Miss Kitty. Which wasn't her official birthday, but the day she scurried into the Cornbluth family's love-filled, shrieks of joy, laden home. <laughs> Matilda was the sole pushing force who campaigned to get a cat from a rescue center nearby Carmel. because She felt a mystical connection to these graceful, courteous, endearing, clean, fuss-free felines of all stripes and colors. But no other one got under her lovely skin more than Miss Kitty. Originally, Matilda named her Woodstock because she was discovered on Woodstock Street. Yet she thought Bob Dylan was annoying as a whole <laughs> and overrated lyricist and couldn't respect the alleged evolved arc of justice leaning solely toward smug, secure, pretentious baby boomers. Especially knowing that baby boomer arrogance never dies. So the moment the name Miss Kitty was uttered by her dear dada, it stuck for good. Now, Matilda's dad had never grew up with a cat or a dog because his father's line of reasoning, whenever addressing his two sons growing up, if they were to inquire about getting a dog, was, I work, so does your mother, so who's going to take the dog to take a shit out of the house? You two? <laughs> Understand, the rationale uttered an immediate dismissive, you're fucking crazy disgust, was predicated on the assumption of Matilda's grandpa, assuming no amount of pet responsibility would make his two sons any less lazy pieces of shit than they were already in his eyes already. <laughs> Regardless of even wearing glasses almost out of the womb. <laughs> Matilda's dad never got bit by Cujo, so he was never petrified by dogs. Although he thought the incessant, barky, big, muscular, bony ones were gross monstrosities who bared too much gummy teeth and shitty bad breath for his taste. <laughs> Golden Retrievers were nice, Matilda's dad thought, but their alleged personalities were vastly overrated in his book. Saying that Golden Retriever is a good personality is like saying Chelsea Clinton has a good personality. <laughs> but it sucks just to make fun of Chelsea Clinton. But she's not even ugly anymore. Plus, most on both sides of the Twitter twat divide think Alyssa Milano is an uppity, divisive twat on Twitter too. Rebel without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much! Matilda's dad had a best friend growing up, Koopy, who had two smoking hot blonde au pairs who could walk his two adorable miniature white dogs, Justice and Brandy. Brandy being the portlier of the two. Yet they were snugly cute, even when they smelled like HP nappies. <laughs> Those dogs were impossible not to love, which is the same way Matilda's dad felt about their precious, otherworldly, head-rubbing, grazing Miss Kitty, who's his new official 5 a.m. alarm clock these days, gently nudging her doodle dad's head with her paw, 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 before it got it by itself naturally without any feline nudgy interference. <laughs> Rebel with out a pause. Fall in love with Miss Kitty forevermore. Holla! Bukowski lives. Thank you very much! According to Matilda's dad, a stay-at-home comedian, Michael Cornbooth, nothing screams, I don't suffer from separation anxiety from my grandkids, than his in-laws deciding to... Adopt a miniature Doberman Pinscher. A disgusting breed of English hunting dogs. This one in particular being named Heidi. Three grandchildren later while living three plus hours away in Delaware in the first place. <laughs> Matilda didn't like Heidi one bit. Who chewed through muzzles with dogged persistence on par. With a Nazi officer trying to chew through a ball gag. When playing the gimpy bitch from Pulp Fiction with Hitler on Crystal Math Appreciation Night, whenever his herpes sores flared up his desire to annihilate again and again, being dumb enough to go down on the, the Jewish prostitute uh, spreading herpes from head to toe. <laughs> One time, Matilda's English born mother in law broached the boring subject of how great the Christmas market is in Manchester, only for her dad to have fun at her expense and say, Then you should have Jita fly us all out there for Christmas one year. To visit all the relatives. So they don't think you're hiding our Jewish offspring anymore. <laughs> Baba, Grandma says, but if you left for Manchester, we'd have to quarantine the dog for three weeks. At that point, Matilda's dad says, well, we wouldn't want to separate you from your anchor baby. Rubble, without a pause, finishing strong. Holla! Thank you very much! Now, it's October 26, 2020. Time for Miss Kitty's three-year-old birthday bash. And her dad always says, 
The best things happen in threes. But mostly referring to the comedic rule of three. In addition to the birth of their baby brother, Samuel, chosen curls was bound to woo! Although four kids would really piss all the virtual grandparents off, making them feel like more ineffectual, hands-off grandparents than ever before. Holla! Rebel, without a pause. Thank you very much. <laughs> because let's be honest, America, Facebook has made baby boomers the laziest grandparent generation of all time. Lifting a finger for them to help out is like a new picture on Facebook. After Matilda's mommy posted a picture on Instagram to show all the new gifts and party celebrations in the house for Miss Kitty's birthday, her parents decided to visit from Delaware for a surprise visit with Heidi because doggy daycare isn't available on the weekends which pissed off Matilda's dad even more, knowing his in-laws had spent more on doggy daycare on horrendous Heidi than they had done so far for all three grandchildren combined. Rebel without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much! Matilda spots her grandparents' lower-priced model Range Rover <laughs> pull into the driveway. And doesn't understand why Bob and Jeter are here on Miss Kitty's birthday. Matilda rushes downstairs to greet them by the door and says, Hey, Bob and Jeter, what are you doing here? Baba says, We're here to celebrate Miss Kitty's birthday. And we brought someone else to spice up the party. Then Jeter escorts the dog Heidi out of the Range Rover, which starts barking uncontrollably immediately. Matilda says, Hey, Heidi, did you bite through your last muzzle again? Jeter says, We ran out of muzzles. She bit through her last one in the car ride down. Matilda says, Yeah, the ride from Delaware is a total shop. I get it. Baba Grandma notices the mezuzah on the door for the first time and asks, what's that, Tilly? Matilda says, it's a mezuzah. It has the Shema prayer inside. The real biggie prayer in synagogue you cite before the opening and closing of the ark. That being, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. No Jesus name drops in that prayer, despite him being the original super Jew. Sorry. Baba says, aren't you going to invite us in? Matilda says, yeah, I already made Miss Kitty. I already made a Miss Kitty party roll. No dogs allowed. We do live in horse country here in North Salem, and I hate dogs because they eat dog food made out of dead horse parts. Sorry. Baba Grandma presses. Don't be ridiculous. We came all the way down to Delaware to join the party. Matilda says, the invitation, which I don't recall Mama sending you because I'm spying on her through her phone all the time already, explicitly said, no dogs allowed on Miss Kitty's day. If you bring them, there will be hell to pay. Even though Jews don't believe in hell, but you get the gist. Look, I'll make you a deal. Have Jita by a Washington Post, New York Times, they all stink, and let Heidi run around the yard and make shit piles and more op-eds about BDS activists, about Palestinian terrorist leaders in charge, resisting free vaccines for the people, from the dirty, greedy, neighboring Jews, even from the Arab-Israeli ones with less imposing schnozzes, while we celebrate Miss Katie's birthday inside, who's my daddy's new good luck charm. I can feel it. His next two books, Waste of Height, Really Short Stories, and The Co-Sharing Comedians, which will be done by his 45th birthday, are bound for do-it-all-dad glory. Your aura of superiority will go poof in his presence like that. I know cats have nine lives, but I'm not taking my chances with that crazy, zero-jaw, control bitch, horrendous Heidi. Some dogs never get adopted for a reason. Unless your new daughter-in-law jams it down your throat to mark her territory. Hope you made fish balls. Miss Kitty loves any fishy, delectable treat. Baba Grandma says, I didn't make fish balls, Matilda. Matilda says, but you give your dog a rib roast, half a goose, and endless ham trimmings for Christmas. Horrendous Heidi, definitely not a Jew. Adam Sandler lives. Rebel without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much. This is an impression of my 10-year-old daughter playing the role of in-house, non-compensated-for marriage counselor again. Pause, daddy. Mama, got your point mid-breath. Rebel, without a pause. Holla! Thank you very much. And this is Pause, Daddy. Welcome to the Doodle Daddier podcast. What Gen X dads understand. Dad-friendly entertainment for you and me. I'm your host, Michael Kornbluth. Controlling our kids' economy can make our kids great again. My three fuss-free kids, 98% of the time, are living proof of it. I've been a stay-at-home comedian on and off for the past decade, 
Although my father from the Bronx is more old school and prefers to use the expression in my honor, sheltered bum instead. Whenever I'm out with my three kids without mommy, I hear, you've got your hands full. And I'll say, if any of my books ever become bestsellers, or if any of my comedy records ever secure me a comedy record holding deal with Atlantic, which would result in my wife finally agreeing to an open marriage with Jessica Simpson, then my hands will be full. I stopped smoking weed until I thought my daughter was asleep already, (laughs) because I feel like a total moron trying to answer her questions on this stuff whenever they got super freaky deep, such as, Daddy, (laughs) if God created the universe, then who created God? And I eventually come up with, God went back in time in a time machine (laughs) made by Elon Musk. My daughter says, that's really convincing, Dad. Thanks for making me an atheist at four. Michael Kornbluth, host of the Doodle Dad Year podcast on Proud Father 3, one of the most hilariously sweet, snuggle-shine bundles of sunshine known to mankind, adds, Today in the Doodle Dad Year podcast, we have a guest, which is a rare occasion, since the launch of my podcast four years ago, in my pursuit to become the paid star voice behind the remote work revolution. Before China could hog up all the credit for forcing corporate America to adjust to a remote work way of life to please our comedy controlled corporate masters at large till our last freedom of speech ball gag and sealed dying press <laughs> during my pilot episode I interviewed a UX designer who worked for Apple I know you're bored out of your mind already unless you use the guy Steve Jobs pump for the casual grandma jean look for all it was worth my standard performer instinct constantly interjected the moment I sense my guests losing the audience which happened every other word <laughs> So I swore off ever having to do another interview on the Doodle Dad Your Podcast ever again. Especially knowing how Doodle Dads in general, who actually want to work from home based on free will alone, in the impassioned pursuit to make the kids the center of the universe instead of the reverse, don't grow on freaking bonsai trees either. But I decided to make an exception for our guest today, Richard Langfear from Plano, Texas, who is a retired drug counselor and author of the new book called Addiction, a mind-expanding warning drug abuse symptoms guide so parents can see if their kids are... A frantic manifestation of the crazy hick degenerate DNA or not, <laughs> with zero concept of moderation in real time ever. Raising drug-free children is important to me because being a druggy dependent is the opposite of feeling free. Da 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 free. Cream lives. Holla! Rebel without a pause. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Plus, how can our kids get excited about the pursuit of happiness at home? Or at school, if getting high off the loved ones or from a job well done isn't enough, at least until their mid-20s. <laughs> Richard enacts tremendous good from his lifetime service as a drug counselor by making a drug abuse warning guide for parents today, unaware of what constitutes drug-forming behavior under their alleged emotionally present watch. The chilling, sobering stats in the book, such as fentanyl being 100 times more powerful than morphine, speak for themselves. and need to be illuminated with unflinching detail, knowing either blissful ignorance, dismissive sugarcoating, or a mere whitewashing of the opiate epidemic throughout the U.S. as being a mere white trash problem can become the worst fatal mistake a parent today can make, especially knowing how Chinese-made fentanyl snuck through our Mexican border to NPR has killed more crackers in this country than Lena Dunham kicking it with Taylor Swift on Instagram. Rebel without a pause. Holla! And the train rolls on. Thank you very much! The recurring theme in Richard's books, The Addicted Child, is parents becoming reactive firefighters, multiple rehab stints later, versus the ideal of becoming a proactive troubleshooters before such residual damage has been done, which some families never truly recover from. This book will help more families spot drug habit-forming warning signs by offering actionable insights to prevent their kids from facing such a life-crippling fate. More importantly, the vast breakdown of all types of drug abuse included in the book will give parents the confidence and sense of surging urgency to have the drugs will kill your brain cells, son, talk with their kids on the still-developing minds before those rapidly deepening drug-forming habits become that much harder to break. Richard, on the side of the Skype podcast interview, is red and flushed in the face, flabbergasted to no end over how Doodle, Doodle Daddy or Podcast host has made zero effort to give his guests a smidgen of breathing room to promote his book, seven minutes into the broadcast already. <laughs> if only Richard knew of Doodle Dad's Code 
word Shrek that his three kids would use whenever he went on one of his impassioned rants and one seamlessly endless breath again with zero auditory relief on the horizon as his kids would all of a sudden forget what cool, interesting idea they had or question to express already. And that miracle, time out, <laughs> breathing, <laughs> relief, trick, whenever, doodle dads, three kids wanted to get in a fucking war for a change. They would point their hands at their doodle, stay-at-home comedian dad, pretending he was remote, and say, Pause, daddy. Holla! Rebel, without a pause, going for the kill shots. Long time all the time. Finishing strong. Holla! Thank you very much! So his kids, they point their hands at dad and say, Pause, daddy. Pause, daddy. As they point an imaginary remote directly at him. Say, pause, daddy. With warm-hearted, smile, stretchy cheer. Because it was funny. And it actually shut their dad the fuck up for a change. On Adderall or off. St. Home Comedian rolls on, adding... Let's focus on our guest now, Richard. We didn't spend any quality time moaning about the All-Star Book Review. I, I just read for you on Amazon about this book, The Addicted Child, which is more than generous considering what a snooze fest the book was as a whole. <laughs> so Richard just read another story. So Richard, I just read a book by uh, Lou Graham, the former lead singer, hallow legend from Foreigner, known for co-writing and building an endless classic rock song staple hits such as Jukebox Hero, Double Vision, and Long, Long Way From Home being my personal favorites among the pack, in his highly readable book, in comparison to your one, <laughs> it talks about getting sober and the growing frustration of not even being able to partake and lighting a doobie after killing at the freaking soldier field on the tour party bus soon afterwards, when everyone else from the band, now in their early 40s, still is. Like the roadie guy says in the movie Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg, don't be half-assed about it. Live out the Rockstar dream for those who can't, or something close to that. Also, there's a stand-up comedian who's no longer with us, the late, great Greg Giraldo. So drug use should be encouraged when you're in your 40s, more so than your 20s, especially when you learn during a parent-teacher conference that your son is a half a tard. So my question, Geraldo lives. Holla! The funniest hitman from Queens that's ever lived. Thank you very much! So my question for Richard is, what's an acceptable form of addiction in your book? Richard says, I wish I had the stage light to shine on you like 1,000 run-on sentences ago. Doodle Daddy here. Podcast host Michael Korn, but fires back with. So all the Irish thugs used to beat up nice Jewish kids in the Bronx, calling them Christ killers, blah, blah, blah. Are they what you call a special kind of drunk prick later in life? Or do you think the concept of a so-called happy drunk doesn't apply to any Irish alcoholics because the rosy noses give off the impression they're really just more superficial cheery on the surface than the rest? And if the Irish are the best drunk poets, then whatever happened to the whatever happened to the Irish Beastie Boys in the Jump Around video, don't get me wrong. I don't think being a drunk prick is strictly an Irish disease. For me, I think... A fellow member of my tribe, Michael Rappaport, still sounds like he's auditioning for the role of Wigger number three in the Jump Around video. Richard says, are you going to ask any of the questions I gave you? Doodle Daddy, your podcast host, Michael, replies, why are parents so afraid to have honest conversations about drugs through their record collections <laughs> with their kids, Richard? What makes these parents so apprehensive to the point out the dangers of doing shitty Chinese make coke with Hunter Biden, only hearing last call from the bathroom stall. Do you feel sketchy degenerate behavior is born, enabled, or all of the above? In the movie Requiem for a Dream, Jared Leto is missing a freaking arm at the end. It's a powerful cautionary message to nail home on part reading your kids Allen Ginsberg's Howl. Next time they claim that the scare easily. It's got more the beautiful angels of light and their minds being ravaged by drugs, reducing to eating stray cats throughout the streets of San Francisco. Why didn't you share such hardcore scare tactic tips in your book for parents using their kids so they wouldn't have to spend the mini fortune and take out a new home equity loan on the house to afford your overrated counseling services? Trump lives. Holla! Never did a bump. More you can say for Obama. Thank you very much. Now, all of Michael's three kids come bursting in the room to give their dear dad a hug. After coming back from school, anxious to tell them about their day. In unison, they all point a manager remote at their stay-at-home comedian dad and do it all daddy or podcast host Michael Cornbuth and say, Pause, daddy. Richard throws his hands up in defeated disgust on the Skype window screen and yells, That's it? Pause, daddy? Is the magic word to shut this loudmouth, obnoxious, semi-sporadic, funny Jew up already? Stay-at-home comedian. Do it all daddy or podcast host replies, when your opinions 
are deemed worthy enough to interrupt my killer rebel without a pause flow, then I'll let you know. Jerk off. Never forget, America. Controlling our kids with comedy can make our kids great again. My three fuss-free kids, 98% of the time, are living proof of it. Rebel, without a pause, going viral. Thank you very much. Hey.